1: Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me and hope you're all doing well out there in Bulls Nation. On today's episode, I've actually recorded or pre-recorded, I should say, a conversation with, I guess, Bulls podcasting and blogging OG, Doug Tonus. So I've always wanted to do a podcast with Doug and I got the opportunity to do so recently. And um, Doug and I sort of got together to really talk about I guess dissecting and re-evaluating the Jimmy Butler trade now that we're a few months into the season and, and obviously players we've seen how the players are performing be, be that the players on the Bulls as well as how Jimmy Butler is sort of performing on the Minnesota Timberwolves as well so I thought it would be a good idea just to do a bit of a status check I guess on, on how the trade is has sort of started to shape up for both teams now that we're into the season obviously it was a very a uh, hotly contested topic when the trade was made, but I thought it'd be a good idea to sort of discuss and, and reevaluate the trade now that we have some more data to really, I guess, start to dive into this trade and maybe start re- reevaluating and changing our, I guess, narrative and perception around the deal itself. So I, I thought that would be a worthy topic dis- to discuss, as well as having a, I guess, a discussion around the front office themselves. So if it's proven true that this Jimmy Butler trade turns out to be a really good one from the franchise I, i sort of wanted to start the conversation about how we perceive the front office and maybe do we as fans or at least those that i guess have a negative view about bulls management is it time that we maybe start change start to change that so i think again that's a worthy discussion to have so Doug and I sort of recorded this after the Dallas game, so you'll notice this, there, there has been a game in between that time with Indiana Pacers. So there, there's not much discussion around that game. So I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I did recording it with Doug. So without further ado, this is my discussion with Doug Tonis. Doug, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Mark. Glad to be here. Mate, look, this is a, this is actually pretty awesome for me. Um, and you know, as a as a Bulls podcaster now, given that. Um, for me, at least, I've pretty much been trying to mimic your uh, your podcasting and blogging career. So it's, it's actually quite humbling to have you on the show. So I do appreciate you coming on. And given that you've, uh, I guess, or most people would know you have sort of had a bit of an absence from podcasting and blogging, uh, just getting straight into it, I, w- I wanted to know, you know, what was the reasoning for you sort of stepping away from the team or covering the team?
0: Uh, Well, it's funny because I just did a show with Fred and he asked me the same question. Um, I posted a little bit about it when I left and I I think I mentioned it in my last podcast, but uh, just a lot of things going on. I was getting married. uh, I was starting to go to grad school. Uh, The team wasn't very interesting at all. I knew they were going to go through a rebuild. I had like no faith. um, They're going to be in this two-year holding period. I had just written about them for, I was like 10 years and I wrote over 4,000 articles And if you do that much, sometimes it becomes more of a job than like a passion. And uh, I got a little burnout. So uh, it was kind of all things getting busy, burned out, not so much interest in what was going on. And that just led to to me wanting to step away for a little bit. And then this team, I think, is actually really compelling and fun, even though they're not winning so many games. And uh, they may end up in a a weird spot at the end of the year where they weren't bad enough or good enough. Uh, They're fun to watch. And I'm actually interested in the young players and I'm interested in the future again.
1: No, that's, that's that's awesome to hear. So, like, I mean, you, you've I know you've done one podcast, at least one podcast since you've been back. But do, do you have any plans of uh, picking up the blogging again? Uh, probably not
0: picking up the blog. That was a little too much work. I'm on my break from grad school for another four days before I have to go back. Perfect. But uh, I do have enough time to do the podcast, so I'm going to try and keep that going. I I did a, a get an iFeeds uh, or iTunes feed up again, so it's back on the. The iTunes Store, so uh, I should record another show actually right after this show, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: it should be good. Oh well, look, I'm pretty much speaking for most Bulls fans, um, who you know obviously listen to Bulls podcasts and those sorts of things. But it's it's awesome to have you back, and um, yeah, hopefully you can stay around. I know you're a busy guy, but um, it, the Bulls community is obviously much stronger when you are part of it. But um, the reason why I wanted to get you on is because I wanted to, I guess reevaluate the Jimmy Butler trade there's been i guess some movement in the the trade itself in terms of how the pieces are performing and and how players for for both teams the Bulls and the Bulls uh sorry the Bulls and the Timberwolves are those players are performing for those that were part of the deal and given that you've generally always been a, a fact-based and i guess uh, somewhat o- objective in your analysis i thought it would be good to have you on to, to sort of discuss this topic again and it's one that i think is as the season sort of progresses, and as the younger players get a little bit better and show a little bit more each each game, I think it's going to be a topic that grows throughout the season. But um, yeah, I wanted to have you on to to talk about reevaluating the Jimmy Butler trade, and also maybe having or starting to think about maybe our perception around the front office, um, and maybe <laughs> reevalu reevaluating how we feel about them. But let's let's start with the Jimmy Butler trade and. This, to me, is completely fascinating because I was someone that was very much against this trade in the sense of of what the Bulls got in uh, in return. I I was comfortable with trading Butler. I thought that move itself made sense. But in terms of the return at the time of the trade, I wasn't very happy. But how how did you feel about that trade initially?
0: I was probably right where you were. I I knew it was an okay scenario for me to trade Butler. I wasn't on the must-trade Butler bandwagon. I thought there was room to keep Butler strip all your salary down, go into next season uh, with Butler and just a ton of cap space and see if you could lure a couple superstar players and and form a good team. I think there would have been room for that type of plan uh, and that could have still been successful. So that would have been another way to go. I think trading him and just going young was was an okay way to go too. So in terms of return, I also thought it was a little low, but I would say in general, the team's gonna take the best return they can get. You know, a lot of times in these deals, the return just isn't as good as you think it should be. And I think that was just the case here. The the Bulls probably took uh the best deals they can they could get. And I guess looking at it now, I I mean I'd agree with you. The value has is has definitely changed a lot from the beginning of the deal to where you would perceive the deal now for a lot of reasons.
1: Yeah, definitely. And and, and the reason why I asked that question and you sort of mentioned value there is is I guess my question, my next question was going to be around, you know, the fact that do we get this trade wrong in terms of our evaluation of the trade at the time? Were we wrong in what we thought of the players or is it possible for trades to really, I guess, evolve in the perception of those trades to evolve over time? Yeah, and it's definitely the second of
0: those, right? I mean, if you look at any player, you know, there's there's a lot of young players in this deal. And so player development is a big thing. Any player can can be good for a little bit and then... You know, if you get a young player who's had a rough start, he might become very good later. Uh, if you have a good player, he might fall off a cliff, or he may have only been good for his uh, situation and it, it might turn out to be bad. Uh, we got a guy in Zach Levine who may become really good for us, or may not because he's coming off an ACL injury, and we saw how that worked uh, with Derek Rose. But we also have seen players come back from that well, uh, that injury very well. So. It can go a lot of different directions, and when I look at this initially, I wasn't very excited. Dunn looked absolutely terrible, and the Timberwolves, like one of the worst rookie seasons ever. Uh, Levine's got an ACL injury, and uh, Lowry marketing didn't look that exciting on draft day. So at the beginning, you're not thinking you got a whole lot, and then actually when the season starts, Jimmy Butler has a really rough start of the season, so now maybe you're thinking like, wow, maybe he wasn't so great news, the situation here, and... Uh, Jimmy Butler has actually improved a lot for the Timberwolves. So now he's back at like almost at an MVP candidate level and is the best player on their team. And then for the Bulls, you have Lowry playing uh, exceptionally well. People now think, you know, this guy has somewhere between uh, all-star and superstar potential. I think most people are kind of uh, in that boat for his ceiling. Uh, Dunn all of a sudden looks like a real player. And we haven't even seen Levine yet. So uh, both sides, I thought when the trade was made, it could have been a win-win. Uh, They're both taking some risks, you know, for Minnesota, Butler might step away in a year and a half and they might lose a bunch of uh, decent assets and and not end up keeping anything for the Bulls. They're getting assets that clearly don't seem on the surface to be as good as Butler and they're getting kind of more assets rather than concentrated talent in one asset, uh, which is usually a bad deal, but they got much younger, which was good for them. So it had potential to be a win-win now then. And when you see how it's gone now, it also looks like it can still be a win-win for both teams.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think it, it. I think it certainly is trending as a win-win for both teams. At least you know in, over the the first two to three months of this season, I would I would suggest it's trending as a win-win for both clubs. So the, the Timberwolves are twenty-four and sixteen. Recording this, the fourth in the West, and, and like you said, Butler is sort of taking control of that team now, and he's pretty much averaging averaging twenty-six points, five rebounds, and almost six six a six assists rather since December one. So. He is looking like an MVP. He's probably, you know, in that top five to seven range in the MVP race itself. But and like you said, the Bulls are receiving really, really good play from Dunn and Mark and and just so just so it's clear, we're recording this pretty much after or the night after. At least for me, it is um, after the the Dallas game where Chris Dunn had probably the best game of his career with the 32 points, really efficient scoring night for himself and, and the nine assists as well. So suddenly all, all of all of a sudden this is the perception around this trade is is looking a little bit differently and and for me as as someone that was quite negative about this trade I'm I'm constantly asking myself you know has the trade the perception of the trade really changed or am I getting just caught up in i guess the the hype at the moment so um I'm a bit I'm still a little bit uh skeptical or or, or playing this a little bit conservative there's still a lot to be played out but um given what Dun is doing recently or most recently it's very encouraging so so what have you made of Dun, um since he's sort of i guess become a starter with this team
0: so for me i've compared Dunn to russell westbrook the first time i've seen him uh, and the first time i saw russell westbrook was at the orlando summer league uh, i got i got tickets to go uh, when i was working for draft express and i was i was there live and i'd never really watched russell westbrook in college i didn't know a whole lot what to expect and this guy was just like a runaway freight train on both ends of the floor. He was just like up in everyone's face on defense. On offense, he was just pushing the ball every chance he got, but he was like completely reckless with his dribble. And it just it was like a turnover machine, but then he was also just scoring. It was just like crazy to see someone play with such energy on both ends. And and Dunn reminds me a lot of that. When you look at his stats, actually, compared Dunn's stats right now to Westbrook's over his first uh, season in the NBA, and I, I use that comparison because of the minutes – uh, that they both played they're actually really similar in terms of strengths and weaknesses very high rebounds per minute very high assists per minute a uh, very uh, you know it's a kind of decent scoring but just terrible efficiency uh, lots of turnovers you know that very similar in that type of sense now Russell Westbrook made just generational leaps <laughs> from where he started. Yeah. There's no reason really to think that Chris Dunn is necessarily going to do the same thing. And also Russell Westbrook was, you know, several years younger than Dunn at the time that he was putting up these numbers, which is also, you know, generally speaks to him having more developmental potential. So, I'm not suggesting Chris Dunn is the ne- next Russell Westbrook, but I am suggesting that if he can solve this efficiency and turnover thing, that he can be a Really great player. I mean he has maybe he never becomes Russell Westbrook great But he could be a player in that type of mold. Uh, I think uh, Rajan Rondo is like another guy. He's sort of this uh, Not a great shooter really good passer, you know, kind of can wreak havoc on both ends of the floor type of guy uh, Who's maybe like a little lower ceiling than uh, Russell Westbrook, but that type of player. So I think he's he's really intriguing uh, But I think he still has a, a pretty low floor, you know, if he doesn't actually improve his efficiency He may not really be anything other than a a fun to watch niche player because when he's not scoring efficiently, the Bulls offensive rating isn't so great actually when he's on the floor. So uh, he does need to improve a lot of things still, but I am really excited about watching him. I mean, I think he has a really high ceiling if he can make a few improvements to his game.
1: Yeah, you're right. Because, I mean, the, the defense is obviously there. It was always going to be there. I think his he's, uh, passing and distributing ability has been better than what I ever expected. And, and to your point, he was, he's a fantastic rebounder for a point guard he's in, and he's a big point guard as well. So in transition, he can be a bit of a nightmare assuming the Bulls play with some tempo. But really, if he, the, the main thing he really needs to correct is that scoring efficiency, efficiency, which sort of leads me to my next question. And I guess... Are there any aspects of this deal or the players involved in this deal that we still have some concern about? We've obviously talked about this uh, this deal looking a lot better for the Bulls than uh, at the time it was made. And, and we just mentioned Dunn's scoring efficiency there. But even thinking about Lowry, Markin and, and Zach Levine as well, is, is there things that we should be concerned about still moving forward despite the Bulls, I guess, looking like winners in this trade to date?
0: I, I don't really think so. And, you know, if you look at the trade, you know, you could say, well, if the, if the Timberwolves get great value out of that 16th pick, you know, does that mean the Bulls made a worse trade? Uh, and to me, I don't think you can really look at what the picks turn into so much because you don't know what the Bulls were going to take at 16. So say the Timberwolves take something, you know, and and Justin Patton is just a terrible or a, a terrible player. Uh, if the Bull and you say, well, that means the 16th pick had no value. Well, it doesn't because if the Bulls had the 16th pick. They may have taken whomever the best player was at 16 left in the draft because they're great drafters. Uh, if the, if Justin Patton became amazing, maybe the Bulls wouldn't have taken him and they'd have taken someone lousy. You know, So you have to really look at like the value of what you expect to get out of those picks at those points when evaluating the trade. Yep. And in some ways it means the Bulls didn't do so well because the value of what was there at 7 normally isn't so great. But then the Bulls, because they just tend to draft really, really well, a historically great drafting team. Uh, They just picked like the golden nugget that was there at seven. Uh, So the Bulls have done really well with this trade. At least that's how we feel right now. Maybe uh, Lowry doesn't become great in the future, but right now uh, we feel like they did really great. And in some ways uh, I have, I guess I give the Bulls a little more credit for who they take because they know what they feel they can get at seven. Uh, Whereas, you know, at 16, whatever happens with the Timberwolves, that pick has no bearing on the Bulls because they wouldn't have taken the same player.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean that's a fair perspective. The the, the major hang up that I still have with the deal is including that number sixteen pick. That doesn't necessarily speak to the players involved at number sixteen. So Justin Patton, but I still have somewhat of an issue with the Bulls having to to make that pick swap. I, I do often catch myself thinking, you know, what what happens if they were able to keep that pick sixteen and were able to draft, you know, OG Ananubi or someone like that, and and adding him to the core and and how much how much differently this rebuild looks all of a sudden with someone like Ananubi with Marken and Dunn and uh and Levine potentially. But um look I, I think you raise a fair point around that pick sixteen. But do do you know have any concerns at all about Zach Levine one from a health perspective? But even then something that that's sort of gone under the radar or at least hasn't been discussed much, uh at least from my perspective, is his contract situation. So those are two elements with Levine that I'm not worried about, but at least have some reservations about.
0: I'm super worried about both. Okay. Uh, I, after seeing Derrick Rose, I, I yeah. hate athletic guys who have ACL injuries. Yeah, so I yeah. just, I, I was actually shocked the Bulls took Levine in this deal after going through the Derrick Rose saga. Like it actually blew my mind. That they would even, you know, sign up for even the smallest potential of that, yeah. even if they yeah. thought Levine was going to be great, that they would even want to put the fan base through that, like you know, that was so hard on the fan base for like four to five years. Like, why would you want to even consider reliving that again? But at this point, it almost doesn't matter to me. Uh, I think Lowry and Dunn have given you so much value that even if Levine completely flames out, the Bulls did fine by this trade, and maybe you view this trade as like a shotgun blast. You know, they're like, well, we got three young quality assets in our opinion. We're going to hope two of the three pan out. Well, we've already had two of the three pan out and Levine in a way to me is the least important because you're going to have to pay him at market value. Like you noted, I I think that's a really good observation. You're going to have to make a decision. Do you want to pay Zach Levine like 25 million a year at the end of the season after seeing him three months after an ACL tear, you know, like that's a, that's a big decision. And so I I think that's actually. In in some ways, it doesn't matter to me what happens with Levine now just because of uh, how well done and and have played. Uh, But we should be concerned and we shouldn't just pencil Zach Levine in as a major part of the future. I mean, there's a a very high chance, in my opinion, that he doesn't really become a great player for the Bulls or that the Bulls let him go because there's contract problems or whatever else. there's, There's still a pretty good probability that that happens.
1: Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I I I still am not completely sure how to make a read on it because I I go back and forward on it. I'll, I'm not super high on Levine in terms of where I think eventually he could be. I think he can be a good player. There's there's certainly uh, enough talent there to suggest he may be a really good offensive shooting guard. But uh, as a complete package, it, it remains to be seen if he can be a franchise guy, which is something he definitely wants to do with the Bulls and it's something he's I guess sort of talked about and hinted at, but. It, he's going to be an interesting case because there isn't a lot of teams out there with cap space in, uh, in 2018 in terms of free agency. He's obviously coming back from that knee ish, uh, knee injury and, and given his playing style and the fact that he does rely a little bit on athleticism, even though he's a really good shooter. Uh, I really have no idea how to gauge the market for, for a player like Levine at all. Are you, are you convinced that he's going to get a deal somewhere in, the neighborhood of 25 million if he comes back and sort of performs at the level that he did last season with prior to the injury or or is it you know is he going to be closer towards that 16 to, to 20 mark given that there won't be a lot of teams out there with cap space to potentially go out there and um really offer him a, a giant deal i i think because he's so young and
0: because he's shown a great scoring touch and he's athletic, and he shoots, that there will probably be a good market for him. Even if there's not many teams, because I don't see really many great free agents that teams are going to chase. And it always depends how many people stay put, too. If a lot of the big-name people stay put, then the amount of cap space around the league kind of stays static, So because they get locked up with bird rights instead of cap space. So it really just depends on... It only takes one team to fall in love with him, and he's a max player. And you look at guys who are his age who've already shown his scoring ability, and it's not crazy that some team would want to max him. I look at Levine and I think he's Kevin Martin without all the foul drawing. So Yeah, that's a good comparison. You know, Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how he'll how he'll do. You know, he he really has a very incomplete game. He doesn't get assists. He doesn't get rebounds. Uh you mm-hmm. know, he's pretty passive given his level of athleticism. Uh he's a very good shooter, he's a very good score, he's an efficient player. Uh but like everything else on his game is lacking. It's like he's the complete anti-Chris Dunn. If you were to merge these two players, they would be LeBron James. But instead, uh, they're two guys with just like critical, critical flaws. Yeah. So we'll we'll see um, we'll see how he does. You know, Levino is also super young. There's nothing to say he can't improve in what he's doing. But if I was to look at the two guys, it's super common for guys of Chris Dunn's age to make really big improvements in their efficiency. It's very uncommon for guys with a game like Zach Levine to improve in their overall like hustle, uh, vibe, uh, assists, like rebounding, like those rate type of things. Like you usually are a guy who just plays with a super high motor or you're not. And Levine does not seem like a super high motor guy despite uh, his great athleticism.
1: Yeah. No, no, I mean that's a fair comparison, and I actually like the Kevin Martin one. I I haven't thought about that before, but I think that's fairly apt as well. And and Kevin Martin was a good player; he was obviously a valuable player. So, if 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 uh, Levine can reach a similar peak to to Kevin Martin, who was one of the better scorers in the league, I think the Bulls will take that, given what what uh Dunn and Markkinen are trending to be, but i i guess we' we've talked about reevaluating this trade or the perception of this trade now, but thinking about it even a little bit more it it may be fair to say that I guess this uh how we evaluate this trade it it may be something that sort of goes on for at least probably the next one one and a half seasons at least given the uh the repercussions we've talked about obviously Levine and his contract situation. We, we, we're pretty confident that Markman's going to be a really good player. Dunn has shown signs, but I mean, his, his career still could go a, a whole range of directions, But and even Jimmy Butler, who knows if he'll remain in Minnesota. But is, is it fair to say that this, in terms of evaluating this, this deal, we probably won't really know how well both teams fared, probably for another one and a half seasons or so?
0: Yeah, it it always depends. You can evaluate a deal now and you can say the value of the deal is kind of at the time it's made or the kind of time shortly after, like where we are at. You know, if a year and a half, if Butler doesn't stay in Minnesota, does that mean this was the wrong move for Butler? Does that Or for Minnesota, does that mean they screwed up? Or does it mean this was the right move for Minnesota, it legitimized them, they did really well, and then they screwed up somewhere else by not keeping Butler? You know, yeah. I mean, like, it it could still be that they made some other mistake. They, you know, didn't uh, have the right GM or Butler got sick of thibs or, you know, they lowballed him on his offer and that this was still the perfect move for them, but they screwed it up after the move. And you know, same with the bulls, like maybe they make this move and Levine becomes great marketing becomes great. Dunn becomes great. But then, you know, all three have like, catastrophic injuries. Does that mean like the trade was bad? Like, well, the value of the trade was still really good. You know, at some point in the future you have to just say that, you know, circumstances beyond the trade are what is impacting the future. And there's really no sense looking back at it and saying, you know, the value received was good or bad. You know, at some point, it's like the future circumstances change the value of the trade, but that doesn't really change whether this trade was a good or bad move from the perspective of judging the front office in terms of, do they make good or bad moves? You know, once, once you have like events, you could not possibly predict, change the value of a trade. Now that's not really on the the real trade value that, that has been established. This is now maybe the value you're getting, but it's not like a predictable value. So it's not like useful from a future prognostication perspective. And so for me, it's not so useful to talk about, except in just a, you know, a general barroom conversation, but it's not like uh, I can use that data anymore to, to make some type of conclusion.
1: Yeah look I mean again that's that's a fairly rational point and I and I totally understand it but I I'm, I'm just sort of predicting or or thinking ahead about maybe it's a media driven thing but I, I can't help but think that the uh this deal and the nar- narrative surrounding this deal will be something that sort of lasts for for years to come whether it's relevant or not or whether we can learn too much more from the the trade as it sort of goes on I, I sort of still think this is going to be a storyline given the personnel involved on the court but also sort of away from the court from you know the management teams involved it it feel it does feel like this is going to be an ongoing story for at least the next one to to two seasons at a minimum
0: oh for sure i mean we'll talk about it for sure no matter what yeah. <laughs> i mean it, absolutely especially if butler keeps playing at this level uh, it puts a lot of pressure on all the guys we have to also play at a, a high level but uh, i like think i said for now it really looks like a win-win both teams uh, really got what they needed and, you know, so I think that's fine. Like, it, it, you know, you can you can be comfortable with what happened. I, if the Bulls still had Butler today, uh, I don't know how comfortable I would feel with their future. You know, they really, they would be playing a game of hoping to just lure guys with free agency. And I think that plan went really awry when Russell Westbrook signed his extension because he was the only one of those guys I would have really wanted to lure. Like now you'd be like hoping to get Paul George and DeMarcus Cousins. And, like, that would not excite me as, like, a big three uh, at all, to be honest. So yeah. I, I, think, I, I think actually the Bulls ended up doing really well. I wasn't excited before, but I'm actually very excited. And they, they've re-energized me as a fan. Like, I was, I was just like, oh, about this team uh, for, like, the last few years. And I think a lot of Bulls fans were. But I think it's time to get back into Bulls basketball. Even though the record is worse, this is, like, a fun team to watch. This is it's fun to watch the Bulls again. It's like they were such a drag to watch the last few seasons, and it, it is so much fun to watch them again.
1: You're right, and I mean it, it's it's fun, but it's conflicting at the same time. Like today, watching this Mavs game, yes. um, I was sitting there <laughs> thinking prior to the game, this is a really good taking opportunity. Like the the Mavs were only I think one or two games up on the Bulls in terms of the loss column, so I thought this could be a really good opportunity. With the Bulls le- uh, losing their previous three games, to sort of maybe you know get one back on the Mavs and, and sort of get back into that top five pick range, but then pretty much as the game starts and Lowry, Market, draws three threes in the first quarter, I'm back into thinking, yeah, let's go for this win. I'm re- I'm I'm really enjoying the game, sort of thing. So it's super conflicting, but at the same time, it is fun when they are performing like this, and and when you're seeing young players actually. Performing and leading the team to a win, I, I can't really get him, get up for it when maybe Miritich or Robin Lopez or someone like that is playing their ass off and and, and leading the Bulls to a win. But when when Chris Dunn is putting through thirty two points and nine assists and and Larry Markman's getting you know he's sixteen and nine, it, it is super fun.
0: Yeah, I usually am watching the game thinking like, oh, I want all these guys to play really well and then blow it at the end. You know, yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Usually, usually which I always do, but. Uh... Which uh, you know is is been actually the case several times. Uh, certainly a lot earlier in the year. Yeah. Uh, but it but it's it's fun watching them, and I I think it's uh we'll see. It, it the NBA does not have a lot of like really big bottom dwellers right now. You know the teams that are at the bottom and are a few games below the Bulls in the win column. You know they're only a couple games, and everyone is on a pace to win like close to like 30 games for the most part. Yeah. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks are like a little bit less, but so. If the Bulls do trade Miritich and has the impact that we would expect it to have, uh, I do think the team is is going to fall back down into that uh, you know top five area.
1: Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, we're we're roughly a week away before they can do the Miritich deal, and we'll, we'll come back to Miritich and maybe finish on on Mirotić, given that obviously that is an ongoing issue with the team as well. But we've we've talked about reevaluating the Jimmy Butler trade and and looking at the players involved in the deal and how they've performed and how they've made the deal. I guess look a little bit differently but I think it's also important to I guess have or at least start the narrative about potentially reevaluating or at least having the discussion about the Bulls front, front office and they they're the guys that I guess that are responsible for this deal in a way their their heads were on the plate based on the the I guess the way this deal was going to play out if 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 it, if it you know, if you trade away a player like Jimmy Butler and, and guys like Dunn and Mark and come out and look like absolute does, then then uh, the jobs on you know John Paxson and Gar Forman, their their jobs are on the line. But given the the state of the the franchise and and how much ire there was amongst fans towards or pointed towards management, is it also fair to start I guess reevaluating this management group to a, to an extent?
0: Uh, so I guess it depends. I don't need to reevaluate them because I always thought they were great. Yep. And even when things were going bad, uh, I was less vocal about it <laughs> because I didn't <laughs> get it to, to get destroyed. And uh, but I always thought they were a good management team. And the yep. reason why is because they are the best drafting team in the NBA or the second best, maybe third. I don't know. They're top three. Like you, you just go through the picks. You can't even argue it. If you add up every team's picks, they have the fewest amount of busts. They have all kinds of fines late in the draft. Look how good Bobby Portis looks right now for like a 19th pick. Uh, It even looked like Denzel Valentine. Look at how good he looks right now compared to that draft class, which was like abysmally bad, like literally over the past, like 13 years, they have got like two or three misses like Tyrus Thomas and, and like Doug McDermott. Like it's it's crazy how much value they get out of their picks and really even how good they do in the second round. They've. Uh, even though they almost always trade their second rounders, which they should never do given how good they draft. Yes, uh, they yes. should value those like so much more. Yep. Uh, But I think they're very good there. When I look at the trades, people always complain they don't bring in superstars and they're not able to trade for talent. Almost no team in the league can do that. Like if you use that as a gauge, no, everyone fails. Like no one does that. It's like there's like maybe one trade a year where a team successfully brings in a superstar and actually ends up better even if that many, sometimes it'll be like one trade in like three or four years. Like it, it's like most of the teams that do this, it does not work for them. And so that's like a terrible way to judge it. When you look at their trades, they almost always do well financially, uh, which people hate, but it's a huge part of the team and the bulls have to run this team like a small market team. They are not given free reigns for money. So they have to be fiscally responsible, which I think fans frequently don't understand. So they make a lot of deals for money. Uh, and they do so in a way that usually does not sacrifice talent. Uh, they've given up on like minor players to get good returns. Uh, most of the time they usually like make all these like minor improvements, to their teams for these trades, even if they're win-wins for both sides, it's like pretty rare that the Bulls lose a, lose a trade. Uh, the Doug McDermott deal is like the one that stands out on both sides coming in and going out. That was just terrible. But for the most part, they do really well on all these like little deals. Uh, this is a team that's, not done so terrible in free agency as everyone thinks. I think the Ben Wallace deal was terrible, but he was like the number one free agent by a million in a bad free agent year and the Bulls happened to have money. So people thought it was the greatest deal ever when it was made. So there's it's like there's not that much really to complain about. You know, you look at other all their minor deals, you know, they've they've generally avoided throwing huge amounts of money to like guys who aren't so great. Uh, Carlos Boozer took less money to come to Chicago even though the Bulls fans say that they can never sign anyone it was like he was the fourth best free agent and you know the big 3 had agreed like 4 months earlier to to sign in Miami there was like really no chance for to, them to ever get any of those guys so yeah uh, i think the Bulls have actually done a lot better in a lot of areas than people think they have and uh, you know that's just um i think they have a very very solid group i guarantee you if John Paxson got fired by the Bulls and he wanted to work in the NBA again, he would have a job immediately like at, at any job he wanted. He would be like the number one candidate to go to any team. But because fans always hate their GM when things are going bad, they always hate their GM. They don't look at like, is this guy making smart moves? Then uh, fans are just blinded by that. And they just think like, well, anyone else is going to be better. But it's it's really not the case. It's not an objective evaluation. Uh, so I've always been a fan of the front office. Do I think they're the best in the league? No, but I think they are uh, definitely above average. And I think it's very likely
1: you would get much worse rather than much better if you replace them. I mean, it's an interesting perspective. And it's one that I've sort of, you know, oscillated on because I, I used to be called someone. I used to often be called rather a front office apologist. I, I definitely supported this front office probably up until around 2014 or so. and And, and thereafter, I started to waver to the point where I was quite, Disenchanted with the group now, but again, like I'm starting to do with Jimmy Butler trade, uh, I'm starting to maybe reevaluate my position, and maybe I got some things wrong, or maybe they've corrected a few things that are making me change my perspective. But obviously, what you you just outlined there is completely fair. to your your opinion, and, and I know when uh, when he listens to this, uh, our friend Fred Pfeiffer will uh, will be uh, probably dancing around to your uh, to, to your opinion. They're very happy to hear that, but. I'm not sure if it's necessarily the, the the popular sentiment or, you know, the general sentiment. Obviously, we're only a few months removed from uh, that fire gar packs billboard <laughs> being erected in Chicago. So, clearly, the fan base has problems with their management team. And, and to me, like, when when I think about the narrative around the Bulls this season, so we've we've seen topics discussing Fred Hoiberg and his improvement as a coach. We've seen, you mentioned Bobby Portis' improved play, even, like, picking up someone like David Nwaba or... Or even maybe to a lesser extent, someone like Antonio Blakeney, We we talk about these these moves in isolation and how they happen, but we don't necessarily attribute to who is making these moves. And and it's something that I've sort of picked up. And we we talk about how good these moves have been, particularly the Novalba deal, uh, or the pickup of Nawaba, I should say. But we don't we don't necessarily assign um and using the magic word of accountability, we don't necessarily assign that to the front office as a good move sort of thing so to me it's it's interesting how the fan base is reacting to one the Jimmy Butler trade and the fact that it's looking a lot better than what it did, and all the little moves that are sort of uh sort of supported that um major move this season but even in in light of that, there still hasn't been any real movement, I guess in terms of how the fans view the front office they've been very quiet about it but um yeah there hasn't been much change of their opinion so i guess my question is for those that um still support the fire gar packs movement and these sorts of things should should they be reconciling with themselves and, and looking at the individual moves made and and maybe start to uh, i guess uh, at least pull back their their uh, their hot takes around their front around the front office
0: Well, I'm not going to tell anyone else how they should feel, but I will say that uh, the two most popular, the most popular guy in a city is the backup quarterback when your team's not playing well in in the NFL. And everyone always hates the front office of their team. Like it is a, uh, it reminds me, I work in IT as a professional and it's like IT is always a problem center because it is expected to be a utility. You know, no one calls you to say, the, you know, the power is working great. They only call you when something is wrong. So you yeah, only yeah. talk to people when something's wrong. Yeah. And we only judge a front office when something goes bad, for the most part. Uh, people rarely look at the context of, of which they're under to make their moves. And if they make a cost-cutting move because their owner says you have to stay under the luxury tax, uh, then people complain. You know, when they were making some dicey moves just to try to keep the boat, like, above water while they were hoping Derek Rose would become healthy... Those are always low percentage moves, uh, and I thought they were low percentage at the time. But when I look at it and I'm thinking, like, well, if Derrick Rose comes back healthy, that's your best chance to win a title. It's unlikely to me that this is going to happen, you know, on year two or three or whatever, but it's still your best chance. Like, your odds of rebuilding and getting a superstar again are still very small. So, you know, they played that ship out as long as they could. And even though it became less likely each year that that was going to happen. It was still like the odds on best thing you could do to win a title is to hope you could kind of keep this team together. And you look and they, they kept like tremendous talent like through this whole era, right? Like they had Derek Rose as a superstar. They somehow picked up Jimmy Butler, who becomes another superstar on the bench. You know, Joakim Noah developed into this this very great player at one point uh, and, and kind of fell down for injuries. And you had Nikola Miritich, who now looks like. A near superstar level player. Yeah. Uh, so this is this is a front office that has been able to find and keep talent, even from uh, positions of weakness, without having cap room and without having high draft picks. And they they kept trying to keep it together and they couldn't. And I knew it was very low percentage chance to work, but it was better than saying, uh, "Let's just tear the whole thing up and hope we can rebuild." You know that would be a four or five year plan. What I do look at the Bulls as John Paxson came in in two thousand and three. I think it was. And it was one year of inheriting a team that was over the cap, had no talent. And he got him to be a very good, fun, exciting team in one year. And then that team fell apart in 2007 and they were bad for that one year. And then the next year they draft Derek Rose and he's got them to be a very good team again in one year. And now they finally hit the reset button on uh, this team that was like with Jimmy and everything. And they're going to be really bad this year. But tell you what, I think they're going to be good next year. I think this is going to be a playoff team next year. I think each time that this team has fallen down, John Paxson will have rebuilt them in one year. I mean, seriously, what would you want out of a GM if every time your team sucks in one year, he makes them good and exciting again? That That is amazing. It's amazing. No one else ever has done that. Like ever. Like, just There's no other GM that can show that in three times he's been able to rebuild a team with one year off. That's, that's, like, incredible. And if other people don't see that, hey, that's fine. You know, I, we'll all have different evaluations. But I, I think John Baxson and Gar Foreman, however you
1: want to split the credit, we don't know who's making the decisions. I think that's pretty awesome. I mean, look, I, I it's, it's hard to argue with those points, particularly when you're so passionate about it. And you, you're getting me slightly hyped now. <laughs> uh, but, uh, look, at the same time, I wanted you, you. you said you wouldn't, I guess, tell people what to do, but I, I was sort of angling for you to tell me that I was wrong, and and that I should uh, start reevaluating things. But I, I guess where I'm at personally is that I think it's time to sort of move on from, I guess, forgetting or sorry, moving moving on from raising up all the issues over the years, whether it's the Jordan Bell deal or you know whatever it may be, trading maybe even trading Jimmy Butler. People still, obviously, don't support that move. Whatever the whatever the move is, whatever the issue you may have, I think it's almost time to move on and, and just to start thinking about the team going forward and what. And well, I guess what the front office are doing going forward. So I think we've reached that point now. It's particularly that guys like and Marketing are looking quite good where guys that may have had an issue with the front office, so me being one of them, I think it's time that we start to maybe start moving on from that at least. But um, you mentioned John Paxson there and I wanted to talk about Paxson because to me at least, looking from the outside in, outside in rather, it sort of looks like he's taken reins a little bit here. And, and, and from reporting from KC Johnson, it does appear that, I guess, Paxson is taking more of a strategic role, more of an active involvement in how this team is being rebuilt, and and someone like Garth Foreman is being moved back into, well, maybe not back into is is probably the wrong wording, but uh, he's taking more of a focus on, I guess, the scouting side of things, which is where predominantly, I guess, his value was to the Bulls prior to being made the GM. So, At least to me, um, looking from the outside in, it looks like Paxton is, again, taking control of this team. Is that how you're sort of reading it as well?
0: Uh, I don't know. You know, we all saw that article uh, from Casey Johnson where Reinsdorf kind of defined the roles. And so you have to just take that at face value, I guess. I mean... I, it, in, a, in a way, it doesn't matter. They've both been there. They've both been important guys for a long time. If Gar Foreman is doing like a lot of scouting, then Gar Foreman's a badass, and we should love him uh, because the Bulls' drafting is incredible. So if, if he's actually responsible for that, then uh, he's, he's doing a really great job. I, I think John Paxson, I really like him. I, I've met both guys a number of times, and I, I will always tell this story. Like John Paxson would like never lie to you. Like he's got like this Boy Scouts honor. And I think that's why he was so terrible when he had to speak to the press because it's like, you remember that Eddie Curry trade and he's like, he's like so sad about it. He's like, I didn't want to do this, but I had to because his heart was bad. And you know, I just took the best. He's like out there. Like he just you know, it, it's just completely honest with everything. I loved interviewing him uh, when I got to speak with him. Uh, it wasn't for so many years because then they brought in Gar and then and then John was just not really around for interviews anymore. But he was always like so upfront and he was like such a keen basketball mind. Like he would really get in depth with you. It was really a joy to, to speak with him. Uh, it was great. And Gar Foreman was interesting, too, because you talked with him and you're like, this he's a complete salesman. Like, I'm like, this guy would like lie to me to sell me, you know, his <laughs> any, like a bridge and somewhere like, it's just like, he's like super nice and he's super friendly, but he is definitely doing like, just like exactly what you would want your guy to do. Who's publicly facing. He's, he's like the PR guy. He's putting a positive spin on everything. You know, if he's forced to trade someone, he'll be like, yeah, that guy was lousy anyway, no matter what he really thinks. And, you know, I don't say that in a negative way. I mean, you want your front guy to be like that. <laughs> You don't want your front guy to be like John Paxson and be like, yeah, we have to trade Eddie Curry. Like, <laughs> like all your leverage is gone now. So, so yeah. uh, I actually think the two guys kind of compliment each other and it, it's fine. Uh, I've always, uh, maybe I, I enjoyed talking to both of them a lot uh, over the years when I, when I used to have media rights and uh, I, I don't know, I guess I think the bulls are doing good. And I guess I, I maybe have strayed a, a little bit from your question of terms of who's doing what to me. I I don't think you can really tell, and I don't think it really matters. It matters what they do as a group. Uh, We try to, like, figure out who we want to give credit to and blame to, but I think these guys probably are going to come and go together. I do think they have dissenting opinions a lot of times, but that makes a a front office stronger to have two strong voices uh, that are willing to consider different things. And I I think you need those different perspectives. And one final thing, because I know I've been rambling – is get on the red big red bus, as Fred would say. <laughs> it's time to drop the. Uh, it's time to drop the negativity. In my view, it's just as a person. Why would you want to care anymore? Yeah. This is a fun, exciting team. If this team was like lousy, I completely would get like railing on about stuff. But this is a super fun team. So uh, you can sit back and enjoy it, or you can grouse about it. Not being what you want it to be you know just in general life advice is uh, your zen life coach for 10 seconds uh, i'd say take the positive view that just uh you'll you'll be happier that way you know it's uh maybe it won't turn out
1: great but uh, i'm just excited to watch again so i'm i'm pretty happy no i mean fair perspective again and and the reason i had fred on last week was to to get that positivity on it and look two weeks in a row i've got two very very uh positive bulls fans on so it's definitely a new experience for this podcast but um <laughs> look uh, i i certainly support a lot of the points you've made and and, and just in general as i sort of said before I'm, I'm ready to move on and i think it is time for i guess some other fans potentially to do so as well obviously um i'm on my soapbox here saying this but obviously everyone can do whatever they like but Look, if, if the Jimmy Butler trade proves to be a, a landmark deal and, and the Bulls really make out in it, then at some point you have to give the front office credit despite you know issues that we may have had. But um, I just wanted to raise that point because I know it's something that's, that's definitely a, con- a contentious issue among the fan base. And I'm sure there's going to be people that have listened to the last 15 minutes and um, were banging their iPhone or whatever they listen to this podcast on. against Pretty much uh, all of them. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm sure we've pissed off a lot of people. But at the same time, We'll move on, so they can hopefully uh get their uh, cholesterol levels back down, uh, back down to a, a safer place. But um, the last topic I've sort of wanted to raise and discuss, and and it's again an ongoing issue for the season, probably won't be for much longer. But it's um, I'm talking about Nikola miritich and I guess his pending status with the team. So he uh, obviously can be traded on Jan 15. We're pretty much a, a week removed from that point. Um, do you think he's going to be moved? And if he is going to be moved, do you think it pretty much happens at Gen 15? If you're going to move him, you
0: have to move him almost as soon as you can. Yep. You know, the value of moving him is to get worse. You can get a better draft pick. Mm-hmm. And if you don't move him, then you pretty much have to figure out a way to keep him around long term. You know, I mean, it's it's if you don't move him and then you end up in this 32 win area and you pick ninth instead of picking fourth or something, uh, that's probably a pretty big deal For the franchise, especially with how well the Bulls draft, you know I have like a lot of confidence if the Bulls draft in the top five that we're gonna get a really great player Yeah, not because every player in the top five is so great But because the Bulls history of drafting players in the top ten is really great You know like it's like it's like one miss in Tyrus Thomas and like a hit with like every other guy They've had which Mm -hmm. is a lot of picks. Yep. and when you look at other teams, that just isn't the case so I feel actually pretty strongly that if the Bulls get a pick, that they'll make a, a good decision and they'll get someone who can really help their franchise. And so I do think that that extra value does mean a lot for Chicago, especially given from what I've read. And I don't follow college basketball closely. I start scouting guys kind of like you know in the NCAA tournament, and then you know look at the top prospects around when we're drafting, and then watch all their highlights and stuff you know towards the end of the year. So uh, I can't say I know like how good any of these guys are right now, uh, but I've read that there's like four guys who are like potential superstars in this draft. So it seems like if you can get in the top four that you really want to do that
1: mm-hmm. yep.
0: and, and we'll see what happens. So <laughs> if you're, sorry, excuse me, I do think if you're going to trade Miritich, you have to do it uh, very soon. And that would be my view as, as a, a fan. I, I think Miritich is playing great. Uh, do I trust him to play super great for a year and a half and then have to pay him max money, which is kind of like the, the route you would be on? Uh, probably not.
1: Yeah, I mean that's fair, and and look, I pretty much agree one hundred percent, and I and I say that as one of Mirotić's biggest fans, even though I've enjoyed his resurgence and and it's been you know super fun to watch at, the, at thinking about the the long term objectives here and and what the Bulls should be doing. I'm of the opinion that they should be moving him, but given the theme of this podcast, I guess is shifting narratives. We've talked about the Butler deal, we've talked about potentially the you know narratives changing around the front office. It's sort of happening with miritich as well to the point where um I've noticed among the among the fan base that miritich has more fans than what he previously once did he was he was pretty much maybe along with Pau Gasol, the, one of the most maligned bulls over the last sort of two to four year period but um he's 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 getting some more fans to the point where I'm actually noticing people wanting to keep miritich around which is is very surprising to me when you think about. You know, like, like I said, how maligned he was during periods of his career in Chicago. But um, how do you feel about Nico Nico in, in general? And, and has your your opinion about him as a player changed at all, I guess, based on the last sort of 15 games that he's played?
0: Well, I mean, he's playing with a, a PER over 24 right now. Yeah, true shooting <laughs> percentage of 62.7% uh, as was uh, this morning. So, which all star uh, num-
1: you- all star numbers, pretty much.
0: Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's playing like an all star. So, you know, I always say. People like love to lock themselves into opinions, which I always think is crazy. You know, they'll be like, oh, you didn't like this guy from the beginning. So you can't jump on the bus now. Well, you know, maybe from the beginning, he was not playing well at all. And now he's playing really well. And instead of me just lumping myself into one opinion, that I'm going to stick with for life, I'm going to reevaluate my opinion based on the most recent information. Uh, That's the boat I'm in. So that's what I do. So I was, uh, I always kind of liked Nikola Mirotic. Uh, I didn't think he was a great player by any stretch, but I, I do think he's like a valuable player in today's NBA. But I always thought like, Hey, this guy wanted too much money in free agency this year. I hated the deal we signed him to because I, I thought like, what are you going to do with this two year deal? Mm-hmm. You know, either just let him go or lock him up to like a long-term deal because now you're stuck in between where if he becomes really great, uh, you're going to have to like max him or, <laughs> or be stuck in the situation. Uh, and if he becomes lousy, you just used up, you know, cap room for no reason and and blocked maybe the development of uh, Lowry marketing. So as it so turns out, he's become really great this year so far. It's still, you know, it's only been 15 games he's been back. So we don't know how that'll go for the rest of the season. But you have to look at this 15 game stretch and say, wow, he, he's a, a very good player. And the stuff that he's doing that makes him good is really what we always thought he would do. So you have to feel there's a pretty good chance that this is legit. Like maybe his shooting is a little better right now than it will be going forward. But you have to think that he probably just is maybe better. I mean, this is a guy we always thought was going to be this really great shooter and it didn't happen the first three years, but it has happened this year. And it's not like that's a crazy set of development. It's not like if Chris Dunn starts shooting 48% on like 12 threes a game for five games you'd be like, yeah, this probably isn't going to continue. This is a guy who is known as a shooter who's now doing well because he's shooting well. Like if Laurie Markkinen uh, or Laurie Markkinen makes the same, same move uh, in in like six months or a year, you'd just be like, yes, of course, that's what we expect. So we expect that from Miritich too. So I do think his value around the league has gone up. Uh, I would almost, I'd like to keep him honestly, but I just don't want to keep him for how much money he's going to make in a year and a half. And that's really the problem is like how you're going to be able to stack these contracts. You're going to have to figure out like, who am I keeping between Portis, Levine, Dunn, Marketing. like you're going to run into this point where all these guys need extensions. And so of those, I'm most tempted to let uh, Mirtich go because of his age. And because at least right now, he's he's for sure going to be a super high paid guy. So uh, that's sort of where I'm at. I could almost go either way. I could see the case for keeping him, but I just think there's too many negatives in the future on the financial side. They're going to come up too soon.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, look, that makes complete sense to me, but as I sort of said, uh, there, there has been a shifting narrative with Miritich and, and, and what, for me, like when I think about Miritich, he's going to be 27, I think in February, I could be wrong on the, on the month, maybe it's March, but he, it will be 27 by the time this season ends. And to me, I do wonder if, if twenty seven is too old to be part of this core when you think about Dunn, Levine and Markinen. And if you assume those three players are part of the core, Dunn would be the oldest of that group. He he uh, he will turn twenty four um some point this season as well. But um and then I started thinking, well, is twenty seven actually too old to be part of a core and, and, and you know, does that sort of make uh, or increase the merit of keeping Miritich. So, and the reason why I started thinking about this, I guess, was I was looking at Philadelphia's roster, and they've obviously got you know guys like Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and and Markel Fultz, who have a very similar age profile to to Don Levine and Markinen. but they also have a guy like Robert Covington on their roster, who they've just signed for a four year deal. He's he's effectively the same age as Miritich, but it does look like covington for at least the next 3 to 4 seasons is going to be part of that philadelphia core um slotting in at small forward for them so i started wondering then like is there some merit for keeping meritich even though that he is going to be 27 putting aside obviously the 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 whole the uh the aspects around maybe trading him to get worse to potentially improve the uh the draft pick but is this is there valid basketball reasons and uh, thinking about the core moving forward over the next three to four seasons in, in keeping Miritich around? I
0: definitely don't think age is a factor. Okay. Uh, I think it really is just money. I mean, if you look at it, so he's going to be 27 by the end of the season. So, but effectively, he'll play this season at 26. Next season, he'll play at 27. If you sign him to a four-year deal after that, he's going to be 28, 29, 30, 31. And he's a free agent again. I think looking at that, that's fine. I mean, maybe he starts to drop off a little bit at 31 or whatever, but I I think you're going to really basically see his prime over the end of this deal and his next deal. So I think from an age perspective, it's fine. It's really to me just like, do you have room for two, uh, you know, I guess stretch four, stretch five players on your roster? Like are Miritich and, uh, Lowry going to play super great together for the next five years? Is that the fit that you want? Um, are you gonna be able to get uh sacrifice too much in the draft? Are you gonna be able to keep him at thirty million a year, which realistically, if he plays this way for NAP, is what it's gonna take to keep him. Uh is that something you want to do? And can you afford that with the other guys you want to keep? And and I just look at this and I think there's enough chance to me that Muratich is gonna drop off a little bit, that maybe the fit between him and Markonin isn't great long term, uh, that maybe I'm not quite ready you know, to commit to this group yet that I just, if I can trade him and I can get down into the top five of this draft and I can instead get, you know, maybe a a young uh, all-star big man uh, that, that actually is going to be contractually, you know, not require big money for four years, uh, you know, that actually maybe fits my plan a little bit better in terms of balancing out salaries. And then also if I get like a draft pick or two uh, out of this that turns into a decent player that helps me fill out you know, my, my role players with a quality young player on a cheap salary, I think from a financial perspective is where I feel Miritich would go from a play perspective. I think, you know, his, his age and his development, everything, I think that's all fine. I think he would fit well in with the core. He would you know provide leadership and all that stuff. I also think that probably there's a part of him that's still like, you know, I I don't want to be with Bobby Portis despite whatever happened. You know, I, I don't, I know they've kind of publicly buried the hatchet, but like I, I don't necessarily believe you know, in his head, I think he still probably is a little offended. The bulls didn't pay him more money, uh, that he got this deal. Like, I'm not sure, you know, he really wants to be in Chicago either. I know he's kind of said that, but I I think in, in several ways, there's things that have happened that I know if they happened to me and maybe Miritich is just a better person than me, completely possible. I would be still harboring a pretty good amount of resentment over some of the things that happened with the team, not believing in me, not wanting to pay me, you know, kind of blocking me from getting another big free agent deal, and then some dude on the team hospitalizing me. Like I wouldn't, you know, be so psyched to stay in this city necessarily.
1: Yeah, I mean that's fair. Look, I I like you, Doug, but if you punch me in the face, there's probably no chance I would invite you back onto the podcast or something <laughs> like that. So um, no, I think that's fair. a completely fair point. But uh, I don't think the Bulls are gonna have any trouble, any trouble, sort of convincing Miritich to, I guess, agree to a trade if that happens, to the, the exact reasons that you sort of pointed out there. I think there's there's still ultimately going to be some issues between Miritich and Portis, even though they have been professional enough to make a work on the court, which is still insane to me that that's happening and still, I think, is being you know, underreported, the fact that that is happening to me. I think that's crazy. But um, look, I don't think they're going to have any issues trading him. And, and the last question that I wanted to uh, ask you before you before I let you go was around trading Miritic and I guess his perceived value around the league, the fact that it probably has gone up. But um, something I've been sort of thinking about as well has been the fact that teams will probably know that the Bulls want to trade Miritic and that they want to, I guess, trade him, uh, I guess, to re-enter that or to increase their chances of, I guess, of potentially having a top a top five pick. But given that teams will know this positioning that the Bulls will have, do you think that really weakens their leverage in a trade, given teams will know that the Bulls will want to be moving him as quick as possible to shore up the tank?
0: I, I, think, it, I think it does. Uh, the Bulls are definitely not in a position of strength dealing him. You know, if you wanted to get the best return, you would want to wait to the deadline, but the Bulls don't want to wait to the deadline because yep. they they want to get him off the roster as soon mm-hmm. as they can. Yep. Uh but the Bulls also don't want to take back a good player. Uh so in a way that is like it's very clear how this trade is going to work, right? It's going to be Miritich for a lousy player and draft picks. Yep. Like that is what the trade is going to be. And so you start looking at the teams that would want a player like Miritich, and they're typically going to be teams that don't have high draft picks. So when you look at that, the Bulls are going to get like a mid first round pick for Miritich or a late first round pick for Miritich just because the suitors are going to be teams that are going to be looking to win now, bump up their playoff push or whatever. And they're not going to have the type of picks the Bulls you know would really like, like the high picks. So uh, I think that is that is kind of interesting. The only exception to that is if the Cavs wanted to trade for him and were willing to give up like their their pick from Brooklyn, which. I think right now it's like ninth, or tenth. I, you know, I, there's so many teams clumped in there. I haven't looked at it today, but you know, it, it projects out to be a late uh, lottery pick at the moment. So that's the only exception to that. Like every other team that could probably take him on is is going to give us a pick that's probably 15th or worse. So uh, I don't know how much it matters. I don't know how much better the deal would really get in February, even if he continues to play really well, just because uh, of the type of you know, the type of teams that would be looking. So I, th- I think the leverage is less, but there's not a lot of opportunity either. And that's one of the, the weaknesses of this. One thing I kind of hope they could do is if they could uh, trade trade Miritich and unload Felicio if they you know as a way to yeah. say, hey, look, we're yep. giving you this player. Now take on some bad salary. You're not giving us any value back for this player that you're getting. Uh, if they do something like that, that might be the type of move you would see this front office make where people would underappreciate the value of like saying, look, we're going to correct one of our mistakes. Uh, yeah, I think that's another possibility.
1: Yeah, and, and again, Felicio play Felicio's play rather has been one of those underreported things or, or something that hasn't really been discussed. But yeah, he he too could be a, a potential trade candidate given the fact that he's looking nothing like the player that uh, that that the, I guess the contract would suggest he is. So that's something to watch as well as obviously the Miritich trade, as I mentioned before. It's really a week away. I would expect him to be dealt as soon as possible. It wouldn't surprise me if they have some sort of deal or maybe even a couple of deals sort of lined up and they're sort of talking through that with Miritich and, and I would expect the trigger to be pulled pretty quickly, but uh, we shall wait and see. But um, in between that, uh, look, I appreciate you coming on, Doug. This is a, uh, it's been an awesome experience for me. Um, like I said before, um, you know, having grown up, I guess, listening to your podcast, reading, reading your stuff at Bulls Confidential, all that sort of stuff to have the opportunity now to talk to you about, about the Bulls has been awesome for me. So I uh, really appreciate you coming on.
0: Oh, thank you. It was great to be here. You're almost as bad as Fred throwing all this crazy appreciation. Uh, just a fan, just like you. It's, it's fun, to, fun to do. It's fun to talk to anyone about the Bulls. It's great for me to you know, to talk with you too, uh, having spoken with you so much on Real GM and uh, respecting your opinion. So it's just a, fu- it's a great time. Uh, anytime uh, you want to do it again, I'm up for it. And uh, I'll try and, uh, to, to get you back onto my show sometime
1: so we can do it again soon. Perfect. Sounds good. It was a, pretty much a perfect podcast until you uh, compared me to Fred there. So, um, uh, but yeah, look, we'll speak <laughs> sorry, again. Sorry, sorry. Uh, all, all good. I uh, appreciate it, Doug. All right, all right. So that was my conversation with Doug Toner. So as I mentioned a few times there, um, Doug is obviously a well-respected and well-established Bulls blogger and, and Bulls podcaster. So for me, playing in this field, I guess it's, it was a really fun experience to talk to Doug. Um, we've we've obviously. Well, maybe not obviously, but we've definitely spoken online quite a bit on in our forum days and those sorts of things. But to actually speak with Doug in was cool. And I think it was important because he offered up a lot of, I guess, differing opinions to what, I guess, the casual or maybe the, the typical Bulls fan, I'll say, has. And, and at least the, the, the Bulls fans that I'm sort of uh, mixing with, there is a lot of, I guess, negativity around the Butler trade and the front office and these sorts of things. And that's why I wanted to discuss this topic with Doug because I think he can offer a, a different opinion, a, a rational opinion at times as well. One that I think is important given the, uh, the landscape changes that are happening in this um, with this franchise. So I, I think it was an important uh, discussion to have. So I really do appreciate uh, uh, Doug coming on the show and talking bulls with me. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can obviously catch this podcast, in the Bulls HQ iTunes feed if if you have a moment as well. Maybe jump on iTunes and and give this podcast a five-star review if you have the moment to do so. Also, be sure to check out Bulls HQ. I'll hopefully have a few posts up there coming this week. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate everyone's support in heading into the new year. And as I said last week in, on the, with that podcast with Fred, I'm trying to be a more positive Bulls fan in 2018. And I think um, the last two podcasts have sort of supported that. So really appreciate Doug coming on this week and even having Fred on last week. So two positive Bulls fans that are liking what they're seeing at the moment. And uh, I hope there's more of you among them uh, that are enjoying what the Bulls are producing. Even though we want them to be tanking, there are a lot of positives and... Um, Slowly but surely, I may be joining that positive list if um, if uh, things continue trending this way. But uh, we'll, we'll see how the rest of the season goes. But um, look, I'll be back next week. We'll see what happens between now and next week. Zach Levine may return during that time, and as I sort of said, we're only about a week and a week or so before Nikola Mirotic can be traded. So it's going to be an interesting point in the season for the Bulls over the next week or two. So I'll be back next week to cover the latest happenings in in Bulls Nation. So I'll catch you next week.